Good morning, everyone. Y'all wide awake? Three of you are. You know, the wonderful thing about being able to have permission to download the app on your phone during church is that you can actually play words with friends if you get bored with a sermon about words with friends. Nobody will be any wiser this morning. So. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to go to God's word this morning? Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here already today and for such a wonderful experience, Lord of Worship. We thank you for the opportunity to sing, the opportunity to fellowship with one another, the opportunity to pray for one another and just to, to praise your name through listening to the words from the choir. And now as we come to your word and as we just look a little bit at what you want us to become and who you want us to be, we pray that Indeed, Lord, you would change us, as has already been asked in prayer this morning, that, that you would move us to where you need us to be. That you would give us hearts, Lord, for not only people to, to become like you, but also to love others like you have loved us. And we ask, Lord, that all that we offer you during this time would be pleasing to you, and all that we offer you as we walk out of this place would be pleasing to you as well. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Valentine's Day is coming up this week, and there will be the opportunity for a lot of people to look lovingly into the eyes of their spouse or, or their boyfriend or their girlfriend and to tell them the absolute truth of how much they love them. There will also be others who will lie through their teeth this week for many different reasons. And really, that's not unlike every other day for us. There are a lot of opportunities for us to either tell the truth or to not so much tell the truth in our society. And we're going to look at that just a little bit today as we continue this series, Words with Friends, looking at different ways that the words we use and the things we say make a difference. Today, we're talking about fact versus fiction. And before we get into that too deep, I just want to ask you a question this morning. The question is simply this. Who are you? And I want you to think about it for a minute. I want you to be a little bit re reflective on this because, you see, normally when we begin to think about who we are, really kind of two different people come to mind. It's the person that we really are, and, and then it's the person that we are hoping and praying that everybody thinks we really are. And, and there's kind of this war inside of us about... How do we uh, cover up, if you will, who we really are? And how do we make sure other people think that we are really this person? And I think all of us go through it to some degree. Who we are and who we really want to be. In other words, in our society, and I think for all societies and throughout all of history, we actually have become pretty good at deceiving ourselves and therefore pretty good at deceiving others. Matter of fact, most adults know the occasional feeling of being a fraud. Most of us know the sense of being not what they pretend to be, but rather precisely what they pretend not to be. Most of us know that feeling at some time in our life. If you go to the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul is talking to Titus in chapter 3, verse 3, and he says this. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, what's the next word? Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
Now, now, what I want you to do this morning, and I know some of you are like, where in the world is he going with this, right? But what I want you to do is to follow kind of along a line of reasoning and also I think it's very much based on Scripture to get to this whole idea of words with friends. We're looking at the power that our words have. And we're kind of seeing the opposites of what we say and how we say it, how on one hand we can use words to be very constructive, we can use words to build people up, we can use words to do good things, and on the other hand we can use words to tear people down, to be very discouraging, to do very destructive things. What we've learned so far is that the words that come out of our mouth actually originate from a very deeper place. They originate from the condition of our heart. If you go back to the scripture we've used for the series in Matthew 12, 34, just to kind of refresh your memory, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of what's down in here, out of the overflow of who I really am, not who I wish I was, not who I'm hoping to become, but out of who I really am, out of that place down deep, the mouth typically speaks. Sooner or later, those words come out of who I really am. So, so we know so far that we are created in the image of God. We know that sin came into the world and broke our relationship with God. We know that Jesus came to restore that right relationship to, in a sense, bring us home to where we should be and who were we created to be in the very first place. So before we receive Jesus and acknowledge Jesus as Lord in our life. Scripture says we were deceived, we were enslaved by sin, and thinking, listen to me, that we were someone that we really were not. But before we were in Christ, we went around in this life thinking we were someone that we really were not, not really realizing that we are a person created to be in Christ, not really realizing we are a person created in the image of God and what that means, not really realizing that we are people created for the purpose of serving God. And so when we come to Christ, we don't just discover who God is. Follow me on this. We actually make a discovery of who we really are. So for the first time in our life, when we stand in the presence of Christ and we surrender ourselves to him, we are acknowledging who he is, we are realizing in his fullness kind of who he is, but we are also at that time discovering and beginning a journey of discovery of who I really am. Let me give you an example from scripture. Do you remember the prodigal son? We referenced that story a little bit last week. And you all know that story without reading the whole thing. If, if you don't, let me give you just a little bit of a, of a refresher on that. I'm one of these guys who is plagued with eyesight that I can't see you with my glasses off and I can't see my notes with my glasses on. Therefore, I do this all the time. The prodigal son, we know he, he had a lot of things going for him in his life. He had an inheritance coming his way. He wasn't happy at home, so he asked for his inheritance. He goes off, long story short, he spends it all in wild and riotous living, trying to quote unquote maybe find himself, discover who he really is, as we hear people talk about a lot today. And when he gets to the realization of who he really is, and he realizes, I am not all that in a bag of chips that I thought I was. I really do need my father in my life. He goes home in humility, confesses his sins, and the father welcomes him back into the family. And if you look at that scripture in chapter 15, verse 22 through 24, 
What you see is that he really did kind of come to this realization of who his father was, but also in coming to that realization came to a realization of who he was in light of that relationship. In Luke 15, 22 through 24, we pick up the end of the story and it says this. It says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why are we celebrating? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, if I could paraphrase that a little bit, I think what the scripture is saying is the son of mine finally knows who he really is. The son of mine has come to his senses. He knows who I am. He knows who he is. And he knows how this relationship is supposed to work. And so now we are going to celebrate. As a matter of fact, in verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, still living in that foreign land, still in that kind of uh, uh, awkward lifestyle opposed to what his father wanted, he came to his senses. <clears throat> Again, hang in there with me. Remember, it starts in the heart. So being honest with others begins with this. It begins with being honest with ourselves and being honest with God. Now, isn't that really the beginning of our faith journey? How many of you, when you received Jesus Christ, had someone say something like this? You need at this point, as you surrender yourself to the Lord, first of all, to what? Repent, which involves what? Acknowledging that you are a sinner. It involves the realization of who you really are. And so before you begin this whole faith journey, it is this acknowledgement of the fact that I really am a sinner... And because of that, I know that I need Christ to forgive me of those sins. And as we go on that journey, as we progress, it should take us deeper and deeper into an understanding of who God is. And that always takes us deeper and deeper into an understanding of who we are. So to, to live honestly, to admit our faults, to admit our uniqueness on the positive side, etc., all of this is dependent upon a growing, deeper relationship with God that helps us grow deeper in an understanding of who we are. This deeper understanding that God loves me, not who I want to be. God doesn't love who I pretend to be. God doesn't even just love the me he wants me to become. God loves me. Now, let me tell you something. That is an absolutely revolutionary piece of scripture and understanding that, that we should amen this morning. So are you going to amen it for me? Amen. What did you amen? God loves me just as I am. God loves me. In Romans, that beautiful piece of scripture that demonstrates this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I asked you earlier who you are. Maybe this picture reflects a little bit of your beauty when you take a look. That's an ugly dog, isn't it? Huh? And the fact is, is that most of us in our sinfulness, most of us in what we really deserve in this world, most of us in the way we think about other people and the things we've done and the thoughts we have on a regular basis, really, quite honestly, we are uglier than anything can be imagined. We are, as my boss, my, the owner of my company tells me often, he says, you are one hot mess. 
I read something the other day that said, I might be a hot mess, but at least I'm hot, right? Okay. <clears throat> the fact is, we're all a hot mess in so many ways. But the wonderful thing is, is that God loves us anyway. And God sees something beautiful in that. He sees something that other people don't see. And the fact is, is that the more we get to know him, the more we begin to understand that as well. Who are you? Well, you are a unique, beautiful, sinful mess that God is deeply in love with. That's who you are. And once you realize that, and once you kind of live in that realization, it begins to change a lot of your outward behavior when you allow the love of Christ to transform your heart. You begin to be different. And the things you say, and the things you do, and the way you treat others begin to be different because out of here it overflows, right? And so we begin to, if you will, transition in what we want to talk about today, words with friends, we begin to talk more fact than we do fiction. We begin to be more true in our life, which is much deeper than just me saying to you when your hair looks horrible, hey, your hair looks nice. It is really this living the truth of who I am every day and being willing to admit my faults and admit my weaknesses and to be who I am and to be okay with that and to always be wanting God to improve me and to follow him, to be true in all that I am so that in all that I say and what I do comes out as truth as well. It's true that we lie motivated by a bunch of stuff but really what drives our lives the most is at our core and it is trying to be somebody else other than who we really are. It is trying to cover up something about us we don't want anyone else to know. Something we are, something we believe, something we've done. That's at the core. And so when we live a lie, we have to tell lies to cover up. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 20, which is a scripture for today. We're just now getting started. Starting in verse 1, this is a long passage of Scripture. Just hang in there with me, read along or listen. I'm going to read 18 verses in Genesis chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now Abraham moved on there, from there, into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, for a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And did she also not say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Now early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he had told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? And Abraham replied, I said to myself, 
This is surely no fear. There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is the cover of the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now, there's a lot of junk going on in this scripture. There is a lot of stuff. It's like, a, it's like an afternoon soap opera in these 18 verses, right? But there are several things that we can learn about honesty and living honestly in this. First of all, honesty in what we say shows humility in our heart. Now, if you follow that reasoning that honesty in what we say shows humility in our heart, then the flip side of that is that we lie out of selfishness. We lie out of pride. All those things that are the opposite of humility are what drive us to be dishonest. Think about it. We lie and we cheat to get along in this world. We lie to increase our bank account. We lie lie to be able to keep sinful relationships. We lie to get what we want. We lie because we want to have things our way. And unfortunately, in your and my society we live in, this has become incredibly acceptable so much that we expect leaders to operate this way. Well, yeah, I don't really believe what they're saying because after all, so-and-sos usually don't tell the truth. Matter of fact, in an essay, Mark Twain, clear back in 1882, says everybody lies every day, every hour, awake, asleep, in his dreams, in his joy, in his mourning. Everybody lies. Fact is, there's probably some truth in that, but we as Christians ought to be the ones who are different. We as Christians ought to be showing a humility, a sense of this is the truth, no matter how it makes me look, no matter what it might cost me, no matter what the risk, no matter how much control of my life I may lose, this is who I am, this is the truth. Bill Russell, the great basketball star who had so many wonderful games, um, was interviewed one time about how nervous he got before a game. They said, do you get nervous before a game? And he says, a little bit. They said, well, what do you do to handle the nerves? And he said, just fly it out, I vomit. He said, well, what happens if you have two games in one day? He said, I vomit twice. It's that simple, right? He didn't need to cover that up. He didn't need to try to be someone who he's not. He's just very honest. This is who I am. Now, sometimes we just need to humble ourselves and be able to say, you know what? I struggle with this. You know, church family, I come in here every week and I'm dressed a certain way and I look a certain way and you shake my hand and I got a smile on my face and you think that I have everything in the world together in my marriage and everything in the world together with my kids, but the fact is I am struggling. Why in the world aren't we okay to say that? That's why the church isn't helping one another like we ought to be. Because we feel like when we walk through that door so often, we've got to become what everybody else expects us to be as people who come to church. And who we ought to be as people who come to church is the same person that God watched walk out of our house. The one that just screamed and hollered at our kids because they weren't getting ready fast enough to go to church. 
right? The one who let that word slip the other day when they were talking about their boss. The one who has a struggle with that addiction, the struggle with that temper. To say, look, this is who I am and I need help to be who God wants me to be. Honesty reflects humility. And if you follow that along, honesty in what we say also shows our faith in God. Look at Abraham. This is a man of great faith. Here is a guy who God came to him and said, Yo, Abraham, pick up everything you got and move. And by the way, once you get out on the interstate, I'll let you know where I want you to go. Right? But sell it all, pick it up, go. And yet he's coming into this land and he's like, Man, these people aren't very godly. And listen here, honey. They might kill me for you, so you just tell a little white lie and I'll just tell a little white lie. And we'll help God out with this situation. Because it's exactly what he's doing. His lack of honesty is showing his lack of faith in God to take care of the situation. Right? He is saying to God, I don't trust you to take care of me in this situation. So I'm going to control the situation just a little bit. And I'm going to convince them that you're not really my wife. And that ought to help out just a little. And that's where we get in trouble all the time with our dishonesty and with our deceit. Abraham simply doesn't trust God to take care of him, and so he lies. And then he justifies his lie. I love this. Hey, church member, did you really say this nasty thing about your brother in the church? Well, yeah, but you know... He really kind of did deserve it. Yeah, yeah, I did lie to you, king, but she is kind of my sister, you know? Kind of like if you look at it the way she's born, she, she kind of can be legally or, or, or morally or whatever called my sister when she's really not. We justify. All this just simply says, I don't trust God to take care of me. I was in Orlando, Florida about seven, eight years ago. My wife was with me on a very few of the trips that I take that she actually went with me and we were having a good time. We, we went to a conference in Orlando and we went to Fort Lauderdale for another conference. We came back to Orlando to meet a friend of ours and he was going to ride home with us. And the last night of almost a two and a half, three week journey in Florida. And a friend of mine from church at South, 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 South is a Miami Dolphins fan, said to me, pick me up, a Miami Dolphins golf hat. One of those straw hats, not a cap. Okay, I will. So, of course, the last night I'm in Florida, I'm trying to find one. And I remembered that there's a sporting goods store up International Drive in Orlando from my time there before that sold a lot of hats. And I'm driving up International Drive and I'm trying to meet this guy who's riding home with us at a seafood restaurant and I want to go to this sporting goods store and I think I see it about a block ahead. And so I'm concentrating way up here and I did not see the light that was red right in front of me. So I ran through the light, I heard my wife scream and I just T-boned a car. It was 25, 30 mile an hour, but I hit him pretty hard. And he got out, called me a lot of different names and uh, cussed me up one side and down the other basically. And <clears throat> I'm a pretty good sized fella. And he was a bigger fella. And uh, I just looked at him and I said, dude, I ran the red light, I hit you. I don't know what you're mad about, I'm sorry. And he went, oh, what? 
I said, it wasn't your fault. I ran the red light. I was looking up the street. I ran the red light. I, I, I did it. I'm, I apologize, you know. Well, 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 okay, okay. So the police come. They take him aside, standing over with his six people we had in the Toyota Corolla with him and over on the side, side of the sidewalk. Local lawyer walks by, honest truth, hands them all his cards, ask them if they're okay, and they said, yeah, we're fine. He said, well, you might not be tomorrow. Make sure to call me if you have any extra pains. And I'm standing there the whole time. Yeah, it's nice to meet you, sir. Police comes over, talks to me, says, hey, what happened? I said, I ran a red light, I ran into it. He looks at me and he says, what? I said, I ran the red light, I ran into him. He said, you realize your insurance company's gonna hate you for that, right? I said, yes, I know, but the fact is, I ran the red light. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to say I don't know the truth about it. I'm not going to plead the fifth. I said, I ran the red light. He literally takes his ticket book aside, reaches out his hand, shakes my hand, and says, Sir, thank you. We never meet people who are honest in wreck situations. And I'm like, what a horrible thing. That a police writing tickets can say, never does anyone tell us the truth. Why? Well, I didn't want to get sued. I could. My insurance company told me, you opened yourself up for a lawsuit. Okay, if our society is so messed up that me telling the truth gets me sued, then I'll get sued. But I'm not lying. I ran the red light. Lucky for me, the guy I hit was driving on, an, on a suspended learner's permit. <laughs> so he had very little uh, leg to stand on to take me to court. So, but the fact is, every one of us is faced every day with telling the truth or lying. And I don't want to get into the legalism stuff. There are times I think it's a godly thing to do not to tell the truth. Corey Ten Boom, you know, says, if you've got Jews in the attic and the Nazis knock on the door and say, do you have Jews in the house? The godly thing to do is to say no. But the fact is, way too many of us lie to keep ourselves out of trouble, and we need to be different than the rest of our society. We need to tell the truth. Because when we tell the truth, what we're saying is, I trust you, God, to get me out of this mess. I don't have to lie to get out of this mess. I trust you to get me out of this mess. I say that not to lift myself up. There's been plenty of times I've tried to get myself out of messes, too. Third, honesty in what we say results in people being blessed. Lying hurts people. Dishonesty and deception hurts people way beyond yourself. Look at how many people Abraham jeopardized with his lies. Not only the entire kingdom of King Abimelech and his family, but Abraham's family himself. Lying hurts people, but honesty in what we say results in people being blessed. When Abraham was honest, not only did he get Sarah back with all these other gifts, but Abimelech's family was healed and they were blessed as well. Who are you? This whole fact versus fiction thing is so much deeper than do I tell the truth. It really is an answer to who are you. Down here, are you a person who is honest with yourself? And who accepts who you are and where God's taking you. And allowing God to make you into that person, but not trying to hide it and cover it up. If you are honest with yourself God can, and with God, God can do amazing things with you.